Hello and welcome to episode 278 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks, who opened the season this Sunday. I don't Playing know if you're aware of this. As we record this four days away, wow. by the time it's released, three days away from opening the season. Wow. Huge. Things are happening. I thought you were saying three days away from Husky football. Oh. I was like, please, take us as many days away from Husky oh. football as you can. Well. Uh, we're going to well, hear about, about your ex- excursions later, though. I suppose we are. Uh, let's start off with this week's beer. Because you have decided to move us into the fall season after Labor after we celebrated Labor Day. It was still very summerish weather as I was sitting out on the patio at Loretta's this afternoon which is where I went because I didn't get fried chicken, as we'll talk about later. Uh, But you have decided to move us into the fall with the Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest Amber Marzen. If it's it's football season, if the NFL is back, it's officially Oktoberfest. I will accept fall beer after Labor Day. Okay. Although (laughs) you know what else we we need to get on for next week? You don't wear white and you do accept fall beer. (laughs) You know what we need to get on? You know what season it is. Fresh hop season. Hashtag Hello. fresh hop season. Uh, a friend of mine said he had a beer on draft from two beers, their fresh hop, last wow. week, but that they weren't in cans yet. Okay. So That's we need to stay on the look. That's how fresh the hops are. Those extremely fresh hops. Uh, the, the details about the Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest. Grab a pack and let your fest commence. This rich Marzen lager features German malts for inviting aromas of honey and biscuity bread, flavors of caramel and graham cracker, and visions of sprawling beer tents. Smooth and balanced, Oktoberfest is here to celebrate. I do miss the like fall-colored Oktoberfest cans. The blue I, that may actually be associated with Oktoberfest. You don't think fall is a, a or blue is a fall color? Only orange and brown or whatever. What what would make blue a fall color? <laughs> what if, what about it? It's a cold color. <laughs> I suppose so. You're saying it's more wintry. Yes. <laughs> I just Googled Oktoberfest and it just says canceled really big across oh, no. the top. It's like kind of the saddest thing that I've ever Googled. There's no more info, just canceled. Well, I guess I don't know whether it's Oktoberfest or not. It's just canceled. It's like they have they have this, the sign on uh, Maple Valley Highway 169 and it says Mount Rainier closed yes. often. <laughs> it's just like, that's what this is. Oktoberfest canceled. Oh, tough wow. I was trying to look up some old uh, Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest cans, but apparently there's something else called Oktoberfest <laughs> besides just this beer. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I caught the Fremont Oktoberfest when I first went to search for it. Uh, before we get to the test, we did have a very brief listener email. <laughs> the listener, Warren, emailed us to say that is it too late alone? Wow. There was way too much Nick Montana talk. <laughs> On last week's pod. I love how different people picked up on the talk about different old <laughs> There was a lot of... That's what people... Of, nobody took anything away from the conversation about no. Jen, John Donovan clearly not being a good offensive coordinator. No, it was just Nick Montana and Cody Pickett. People just want to be nostalgic for old UW quarterbacks. Or there's something... Uh, it's like a combination of his nostalgia and like anti-nostalgia. Right. Yeah, people are unhappy with me, but check Cody Pickett's advanced stats. The interception rate was not great. 
percent. Who are you, Pete Carroll? The interception rate—that's all you care about. That's not all I care about. His yards per attempt was not outstanding, especially given the receiving talent. Like, look, I have a soft. I have a special I like place that in this my email heart about Nick Montana has led to you defending, <laughs> or to not defending, to to re-insulting doubling, doubling Cody Pickett. My criticism. I mean, look, I'm not like anti Cody Pickett. I just think that people think he was a better quarterback than he actually was. I wonder when you why check the this stats. podcast doesn't have a larger national audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just like two minutes in you're well, just like i got, have to come come for cody pickett again we got two late grads <laughs> listening to us did you did you discover any information on old Oktoberfest cans How, uh, your they, they used to be a brownish hue but i, I think they've yeah. been blue for quite a yeah, while it's been a, it's been a while i'm not saying it just happened it was like a brownish orange in the past but they've it's a it's a sleek it's a sleek can so our first test this week you're, that was not a toast to was, too much not, Nick Montana talk. Yeah, not really a toast. I like that just you dumped note. that in the, to, in the toast area. It just needed it to be somewhere. Uh, something that you've called for, two Seattle area sports teams requiring proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test within 72 hours to attend games this season, as they all announced on, over the course of Tuesday morning. Uh, Seattle Kraken, the first team to announce this. We'll take it slightly further. The only exceptions will be for legitimate medical and religious grounds. And those exceptions, individuals will be required to produce a negative test within 48 hours. So even more restrictive is an indoor event, somewhat unsurprisingly, than the big outdoor events, Mariners, Seahawks, Sounders, you know, football, etc. WSU football as well. So you've been calling for this and kudos to the teams for coming together and doing this. Huge. It's something that <clears throat> I was starting to think was not going to happen. You know, when we you got the mask mandate, about it. when we got the mask mandate from Jay Inslee, that was not from Jay Inslee. That was at the county level. Oh, the mask mandate was at the county level Correct. for large events. Yes. Okay, so Jay Inslee has not mandated any of this. No, but ultimately, it turns out he didn't have to. That the teams did it themselves. There might have been some pressure. I'm sure that he was that the state was involved in coordinating these, you know, especially to have similar restrictions across all the sports teams. I mean, <laughs> my favorite part about it is like the mask mandate didn't go into effect until after last weekend, until Tuesday, that this vax mandate wasn't in effect, and that somehow the Huskies lost to Montana. It was not a great scenario all around. Many people were wearing masks. To I'm, sh- I'm game, sure that they were. But just all of those things together. <laughs> not only did you risk your life going to that game, but they also lost to Montana. Uh, I mean, I like everything about this. You know, the the reality is there are a lot of people who are going to get vaccinated because of this. And... That should, the goal should be, number one, to make these events as safe as possible. Do I think that these mandates are going to make them 100% safe? Absolutely not, because there's no event that you can go to with other people and be in close quarters that is 100% safe. But it's about mitigating risk and reducing risk. So now you talk about going to, for us, going to the next Seahawks game, to the first Seahawks game at home, is you know that everybody in the building, if they're enforcing it properly, which we'll see, but you know that everybody, yeah, the logistics of it are going to be a bit of a challenge. Everybody in the building, we're going to have to go in really fucking early. Yes. Everybody there will have been either vaccinated or a negative test and masks and outdoors. Correct. All of a sudden you look at that and you're like, this is not that dangerous of an event to go to. I mean, it's something that we talked about with the various bubbles last year. Most, most famously the NBA bubble, you know, individually, some of these precautions may not be enough, 
But when you start to layer them on top of each other, it creates additional degrees of protection. But I, I also think it's a it's a huge step forward for people who I think there's a large portion of the country and of King County and of Western Washington and of the Seahawks fan base who are not vaccinated and who are not what I would describe as strictly anti-vaxxers. Right? They're not hardliners on the issue. Yes. There are people who just, for whatever reason, haven't done it. And if you're having to go every single week for 10 weeks this year uh, <laughs> to to get a negative test within 72 hours, it's a lot of work to do, right? At some point, it's just going to be so much easier to go and get the vaccine. So yeah. number one is keeping these events safe. I mean, like when I approached that game, I was not about to go to that fucking Husky game on Saturday. You know what I mean? With everything involved. Now, UW versus Cal, I'm like, okay, we have COVID-wise the best seats in the entire stadium. We have, it's outdoors. There's going to be a vaccine mandate. There's going to be a mass mandate. Like, it's borderline safe, right, going to this event. So I, I think that is a huge step forward. And to have all the teams, except for the Mariners, uh, rally around this <laughs> because they're just leadership. The Mariners started mandating it in October. Yeah, for, the, was... for the Seahawks, it was the next game, right? And really, I, I don't... I, I presume that's because of the fact that they've already sold tickets for those games. But Oh, the, the Seahawks, Seahawks haven't sold tickets for their I, games? Well, it, like, you know, there was a statement, I they think... They sold tickets advertising them as you can be an asshole and not be I vaccinated? I don't want to misquote. I believe it was Todd Laiwicki. Uh, someone was asked about, well, what about Kraken fans who are unvaccinated and already have tickets? And their their comment was, they can explore the resale market. I'm sure, though, there's yeah. other people who would be interested in those tickets, which is true for the Kraken and the Seahawks. Not necessarily true for the Mariners. <laughs> Mariners. <laughs> Look, they could get $4 on the ticket. They can explore the resale market. All right, our next toast. This, no, 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 no. This, oh. this is huge, though, as we approach as we approach professional sports this fall. And it's something that for the Seahawks, I haven't seen every NFL team, right? I have not seen many teams that play games outdoors come anywhere near this type nope. of mandate though. And so the Seahawks are doing this in the face of criticism. I loved reading through the comments on their Twitter when they announced this. Oh, it was a good time. Uh, for the most part, like th there were the handful of people in there who uh, were saying what you would expect them to say, right? But I do actually think for the most part that comments were positive or saying stuff like, this is so terrible, you should sell your tickets to me or whatever, <laughs> you know? But do I expect there to be any less people at that game against the Tennessee Titans on September 19th, is it? Yep. Absolutely not. No. It's going to be sold out. People are going to figure this out. And they're, one way or another... I think that this is going to make a positive impact on the community and to take that large of an, of an audience that the, all of these teams have, except for the Mariners, to take that audience that, that they have that wants to go to these games and use that for the greater good is huge when you take people like Nick Licata, who say that sports provide no greater value beyond this. Right now, they're getting more people vaccinated than probably anything else in this moment. No, I suppose he spoke... Technically about economic and cultural value. He did not say anything about public health value yeah. of sporting events. It was a long con. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm excited about this. Again, as I go as I as we go toward that game, the first game that I'll be attending. Uh when do the sounders start? Are they, is that this week? I am not sure of that off the top of my head. Okay. Chris asked me about going to the game on Saturday. I believe it I might did be not respond. I believe it might be later for the Sounders okay. than for the Seahawks, is my recollection. 
but check that out. Be sure to check that out if you're but attending But I may games. be going to the Sounders game on Saturday. Okay. Uh, our next toast to eight former Storm players nominated to the WNBA's 25 at 25 list. I don't know. I've seen various names for this. W25, including current player Sue Bird, the only player in the list, as I came up with and wrote about on ESPN.com yesterday, to have played with with or against everyone else on the list. Wow. Because there we go. the one game that she played against Cynthia Cooper in 2003 when Cooper returned to the league. Wow, doing a lot of work. Uh, Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart, the current players. Lauren Jackson, the third who played the bulk of her career for the Storm, along with Swin Cash, Yolanda Griffith, Katie Smith, Cheryl Swoops, and Tina Thompson, who all came later in their Did careers. Did Lauren Jackson play for another team? No. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, she she played the entirety of her career. Uh, here is is has Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart. They just have more career potential to go. Also, a side toast to Lauren Jackson, who will be inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame this Saturday. Uh, as we talked about back in the spring. So, big week for LJ. Uh, next up, uh, a, a, a big week in terms of honors for the household. Not only Sue Bird on this list, but to NWSL Player of the Month, Megan Rapino in her successful return to L- OL Reign after the Olympics. Four ga- goals in two games Huge. for Rapino. All right, lastly this week, we're remembering former Sonics and Storm minority partner Jack Rogers, a longtime Starbucks executive who was the primary point of contact with the Storm organization, like essentially functioned as the, you know, the, the owner of the Storm, I would say, before the teams were sold in 2006. Uh, Rogers, who played football and basketball at Kansas and was part of the Jayhawks' 1952 NCAA championship basketball team, died on August 29th at age 90. So we do not have a quarter fi- you know, in our search for Seattle's best fried chicken this week, despite at least my best efforts. Oh, no. We tried twice this week to get Cookies Country Chicken, the number one seed, and were denied both times. So Sunday, you actually made it all the way down there. That was when I was planning to have it. Yes. Only to discover that they had decided to close to give their employees a well-deserved day off ahead of Labor Day. Cookie was not there. <laughs> no, no, Cookie was nowhere to be found. It was. We drove up and I was like, this place is definitely closed. <laughs> uh, and then today, I went to go place my order. I went to call in my order and I asked for the chicken combo or whatever it is. And I'm told... They were unable to brine any full chickens overnight last night. So they had the chicken tenders, the tendies. So they didn't run out of chicken. They just couldn't brine the chicken. I think they may have not had it to brine, basically. They had the chicken sandwiches with uh, the breast patties, presumably there. Maybe some thigh. Unclear. It's been a long time since I've had that sandwich. But they did not have any actual fried chicken to offer. I'm going to say I'm disappointed that you weren't able to get chicken. But I'm impressed with Cookie here. A, a lesser chicken place would have just served it unbrined. That's true. That's a great point. The commitment to brining here is important. Cookie only wants to put out good chicken, right? Because you're only as good as your worst chicken. That's an, an excellent point. Thank Dad. you. Yes. I thought that me saying you're only as good as your worst chicken <laughs> was an excellent point. We'll see how that comes up when we discuss heaven said in the semifinals <laughs> where I've had varied experiences over the course of this, this search but uh, excellent point. <laughs> we will get back to this next week. Hopefully, you'll also be able to make it to Simply Soulful, which was not 
there was not an issue there. It was just you wanted to go there today, and I had to point out to you again that they are not open on Wednesdays. Also, there's this this uh, app called Google uh-huh. that you look on it, and they just show the hours. It's great. Wow, you're calling Google. Check it out sometime. <laughs> uh, with that, do we have any? Do you want to talk about Pagliacci? You did get ended up with Pagliacci instead of cookies. Great as always. I had the Pizza Primo oh. a week ago. And oh, is forgot it Pizza the Season? You're damned right. Wow, fresh hop season and Pizza Season. It may not be for long. They posted the fig, like a. Uh, They're a out of peaches. No, no. Like <laughs> they're going to make the switch over too soon to their fig seasonal. Oh, so man. get the pizza well, at last. I think the fig is pretty good too, though. No, it is. It is. You want to get both of them. <laughs> You're going to want to get both of them. Yeah, those. just at different times. <laughs> if you like sweet fruits on your pizza, <laughs> which I do, as it turns out, take that pineapple haters. <laughs> but you didn't. You haven't gotten pineapple at Pagliacci. Just in general, you don't eat pineapple on your pizza that often, do you? I'm I'm willing to eat you it. Want it's more not exotic sweet fruit. <laughs> yes, it's not my primary choice. But pineapple. Uh, we so we got some news about Climate Pledge Arena earlier this week with the announcement on Tuesday night that Coldplay will open the arena on October 22nd, the night before the Kraken will play their first game at Climate Pledge. When the Kraken don't make the playoffs for like the first 50 years of their existence, we're calling this the Coldplay curse. <laughs> They're really opening the arena with Coldplay, huh? It's not quite Pearl Jam. I think everyone kind of assumed that it would be Pearl Jam, given their, their ties to the local area. I, I don't know what their schedule looks like in October, if they hadn't kept this clear. But uh, yeah, that, that was not necessarily what I was expecting. They zagged. Whatever whatever curse there is that happens around the Kraken, which probably will happen because they're a Seattle sports team, we're going to pinpoint it all back to Coldplay here on October 22nd, 2021. <laughs> uh, this also does rule out, presumably, assuming this actually is, as they described it, the first event at Climate Pledge Arena, the Storm potentially playing there if their playoff run is extended into the WNBA Finals because the last possible finals date is October 19th. Uh-huh. So, going to continue making that drive up to Everett for the Storm games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love that drive it's up to It's in Chris Martin's contract Everett. that he has to christen the arena. Although, let me tell you, there's a lot of heaven sense on the way. There's that's, a- the, that's the upside. That's good. Two out of two. Uh, is it time for the return of your favorite segment? Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Well, <clears throat> the Mariners currently sit at two and a half games back of the wild card with a team entrenched in the playoffs previously sliding in front of them. What year am I talking about? 2021? No. Because you would not believe what year this season reminds me of. <laughs> is it the season that they might make statues about? What year? 1995. That's right, 1995. <laughs> of course. It's always the, 1995 the, in our The hearts. year the take was built. You know what I saw this past weekend when I tuned in? The Mariners needing three consecutive wins. Backs against the wall. Bottom of the 11th inning. Actually, it's the top. Line down the left field line. Kellenic plays a game of chicken with the foul line and wins. Erect the statue. <laughs> right now, your takes from a few weeks ago about run differential look like Ed Sheeran NFL merch. 
No one's buying them. Because do you want to know what? The 2021 Mariners are better than the 95 team. Do you know where the Mariners stood on September 8th, 1995? I'm going to guess it was more than two and a half out of the wild card. 63 and 61. I think they actually were leading the wild card. 63 and 61, six games back of the California Angels. This year, it's the, the Yankees who have collapsed. And the team there to claim what is rightfully theirs 27 years later? Your Seattle Mariners, who will advance all the way to the American League wildcard play-in game. They're going vaxxed in October, so we might as well make it worth it. Build the fucking statue! <laughs> Uh, is that, now that is a funny 95 parallel because the team that ended up winning the wild card in 1995 was the New York Yankees uh, well yeah not important for the takes but do we want to go in the uh, uh, George Michael sports machine oh. to September 8th 1995 That first off that sounds like a very 1995 thing to do is to go in the George Michael sports machine because the Seattle Mariners on September 8th 1995 in front of a 10-year-old Tristan Pelton, defeated the Kansas City Royals 4-1, to Randy Johnson with the win, Norm Charlton, the sheriff, with the save. Do you want to know what other pitchers picked up Ws that day around the MLB? Sure. We've got David Cohn, Earl Hershiser. It's a who's who of 90s baseball. It really is. Mark Langston, Mike Hampton, Luis Andujar, and Curtis Laskanik. A lot of these guys were involved in the Mariners' key playoff games. Uh, Langston starting against Johnson, who was who was traded for in the wild or the AL West uh, playoff, the division the division tiebreaker there, and then Cohen obviously in the in the ALDS pitching that deciding game five. There we go. Wow, what a blast from the past! If Love you it. have any reason why Esteban Loaiza fits in with the. Uh... <laughs> Mariners playoffs also that happened. I, I don't know that I have the, a connection. There. My take about the 1995 baseball season is that holy shit, the Indians were very good. They were 86 and 37 at this point. And wow, to lead the wild card, this was only one wild card. The Mariners were 63 and 61. The Yankees were 62 and 61. Do you realize how aggressive your takes would have been in 1995? The Mariners actually had positive run differential at this point, though. Right, they would have been totally different. I don't look at the record. I don't even pay attention to that. Oh, yeah. I'm all about that fun differential. Uh, Seattle Sounders had last weekend off is the international break. USMNT salvaging what looked like a lost international break. That They started off with back-to-back ties and were trailing one nothing on the road in Honduras before scoring three goals in the second half, two after Christian Roldan's introduction as a substitute into that match. Uh, Wait, we didn't t- we didn't do the actual normal Mariners update. I assume that you covered it all. I mean, Fangraphs give... playoffs odds. Actually, they've gone down since I posted this. Have I don't know really? why because the Mariners are a half game closer than they were at that point. But the playoff odds have gone down to five percent from seven percent earlier today. I don't know what to tell you. The A's won. I guess that was that was real bad for them. That chances. was two percent. I, I, look, I'm not running the simulations there. Look, I can only take the credit for the blame for the WNBA playoff simulations. Seeing a 7% playoff odds from Fangraphs is like astronomical. 
given where they've been. All of a sudden, Fangraphs is like, fuck, this might happen. <laughs> right? That's what that 7% says. I don't really think that's it's how like, the projection we don't, model we don't, works. Nobody wants to see it, but I think it actually might happen. <laughs> oh, no one wants Right? The, the needle, all of a sudden, it started ticking back, right? This is Georgia, like 11 p.m. on election night. And you're like, oh, shit, what just happened in Georgia? That's the Fangraphs playoff odds that are happening right now. Maricopa County. <laughs> I don't think that's in Georgia, is it? No, that's the Phoenix. Uh, all right, Sounders. It's just election, an election word. Yeah, I get it. I know a county that millions of people live in. Broward County? That's <laughs> a, a, always a fun one. Uh, Colorado has new, now moved within one point of the Sounders in the Western Conference standings and with a match in hand, so therefore they're number one in the West in points per match. Uh, Sounders back in action this Sunday. No, that's Sunday. all you look at, right? Obviously. Okay. I mean, I look at goal differential, too. Okay. And you got to look at expected goal differential. There's, there's a few things. Uh, there's a lot of things that you solely look at. <laughs> exactly. At least three. Yeah, multiple. Uh, against Minnesota United in a rematch of last year's Western Conference final comeback. Uh, Minnesota, after a slow start, has moved up into fifth in the West at 1.48 points per match. These teams have split two meetings this season with the home team winning each time. The Loons' one nothing win in July in Minneapolis was the Sounders' first loss of the season. Minnesota United has a below-average offense, but the sixth lowest goals allowed per 90 minutes. So, likely a thrilling match based on that. that what time see. is that match? What time is that This is that purely match? for my information about whether I want to go to the game or not. Sadly, I did not copy that down like I usually do. So... We'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you're going to have to fill while I search for it, is what I'm telling you here. Oh, excellent job of filling that really dynamite. <laughs> dynamite. <laughs> uh, that's why this podcast doesn't have a bigger listenership. <laughs> that is 2 p.m. 2, 2 p.m. on Saturday. Right. So right. you'd be home in time for the... Husky game to the extent that you want to watch that. Did not factor into my decision-making process. OL Reign, a 1-1 draw Saturday at Racing Louisville. Trailed most of that match, but got the equalizer from Bethany Balser at header off a Sofia Huerta cross in the 74th minute, giving Balser the outright NWSL scoring lead with eight goals this season. Uh, Results still left the Reign four points clear of a tie for the fourth and final playoff spot. They're one point back of second place North Carolina Courage, who have a match in hand. Uh, rain road trip continues next weekend against the sixth place Washington Spirit, led by Ashley Hatch, whose seven goals are tied for second in NWSL. Washington has also gotten four goals and three assists from rookie Trinity Rodman, Hello. the number two overall pick of this year's draft. Uh, Seattle's, You're cheering for Trinity Rodman, right? I mean, not necessarily against the rain, but in general, for sure. Okay. She was almost a coach. She did commit to Wazoo, but never played a game there. Even better. <laughs> Uh, Seattle Storm got an 85-75 win last Thursday against the New York Liberty. Wasn't really a pretty game. Not not as good as the point differential in this one indicated. But they needed that win to snap their three-game losing streak. Then took the weekend off and got a real good get-well game on Tuesday against the Washington Mystics, hitting 14 threes in a 105-71 win. The most lopsided loss for the Mystics since 2008. Wow, that's a lot of points. That is. There's been a pair of 100-point games in 30-point margins 
in their homestand. One was by Chicago against the storm, and then they kind of evened it out with this one against Washington. Now, the concern was... They were probably worried about the point differential more than anything else. Clearly. Uh, Brianna Stewart left this game with a left foot injury in the third quarter, did not return. The the vibe was mixed, I guess, post game and said they're a bit waiting for their evaluation. There was no media media availability on Wednesday, so I still haven't heard any update on her status, but uh, certainly hoping for the best there with Stewie. Uh, WNBA playoff picture still fluid, which is two games separating second and fifth, which is the difference between a bye to the <laughs> semifinals and having to win two games on one of those on the road to get there. The Storm will assure a top four seed in not having to play on the road before the semifinals if they beat Phoenix in the season finale on September 17th. But a loss there would give the Mercury the head-to-head tiebreaker and a good chance of finishing fourth. Uh, Because of Minnesota's loss Wednesday at Las Vegas, winning the final two games would assure the Storm no worse than the number three seed. Uh, They will, after another extended break here, travel on Sunday for their final road game of the season at the Los Angeles Sparks, who are among four teams battling for the two remaining playoff spots with... And this is even worse than the 95 Mariners. A 10-18 and 18 record is still in the playoff race in the WNBA. Wow. Okay. Let's get to football. It's time. It's week, it's week one. We got to talk about UW football again. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I thought we were talking about football. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. No, I, I was laughing at your ranking, LOL, on yes. the notes. Yes. Oh. Uh, the Now... You want some negativity about the Huskies that you have okay. that I was trying to counter. FPI shares your opinion generally. They dropped 21 spots in, in ESPN's college football Oh, no power shit index. that FPI didn't like losing to Montana <laughs> at home? What are you talking about? Do you think FPI would have been like, you know what? <laughs> Better luck next week. <laughs> yeah. uh, now a 6-6 six and six expected record on the season. I mean... Uh, the cold, heartless computer didn't like the loss at home to Montana. Shocking. Mike Vorrell of the Seattle Times wrote about this. There have been five ranked teams all time that have lost to FCS opponents. Okay, so this was one Montana. of the worst five losses in NCAA football history. Got it. I don't know if I would necessarily say that the worst five losses in college football history. <laughs> it's a conversation, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely in the ballpark. Uh, the previous four all ended up winning bowl games. One of them even won their conference. Really? Who is that? I, I want to say that was Virginia Tech, who had lost to Boise State in the opener back when Chris Peterson was there, and then lost to an FCS team the <laughs> next week, wow. and still rallied to win the I was going to say, I think Boise State's an FBS team. <laughs> they are, yes. They they were once upon a I think they were once upon a time an FCS team, but it's been a long, long time since then. Than, since you, uh, it's shocking the amount of rash, rationalization that's happening and might happen on this podcast we'll see oh. it's a brand new week oh wow I, look i don't think that their flaws on offense are going to change i think our expectation after we've taken time we we've gotten to a new week the expectation has to be that this is going to be a bad offense Right, I think it could be an average offense. Best case scenario, it's an average offense. I mean, they scored seven points against Montana at home. Like, I, I just don't. I understand that. I think that there's a lot of week to week variability in all of football, sport in general. There's a lot of week to week variability in all of football, though, and I think there's especially a lot of week to week variability in college football at the beginning of the season. 
because there's no preseason. I mean, not that there's no preseason for most of the NFL now, also. Well, but the they they're going into this pretty blind without having played any games, without any wide receivers. But I don't think you can expect that the offense is going to be top half of the Pac-12 at this point. Like no, that's just not. not a reasonable expectation unless something changes very quickly. It's just not a good offense. Like we know what we're seeing right now. We know who's going to be the offensive coordinator next year. And that is someone else. I mean, I think they were top half offense last year, weren't they? <laughs> In the ill-fated four game season. Like don't even sure. give me that. I, I do not care. I'm just saying it's not like it was unreasonable to expect that going into the season. I also, at the same time, we felt pretty good about Dylan Morris as the Husky starting quarterback a week ago. Yeah. Right? I'm not willing to put all the blame for this on Dylan Morris because I'm putting it all on the coaching staff. <laughs> and you, but, you just want him to be benched after the after Saturday. <laughs> that too. <laughs> You're not putting the blame on him. You just don't want no, him to play No, I'm not wanting Dylan Morris to be benched because he's a bad quarterback. I'm wanting Dylan Morris to be benched because if you're going to have a bad coaching staff, you might as well get reps for somebody else. Again, this is this is a season where they do not have an offense. They showed against Montana that there is no offense at all, that they're not going to try anything. They're just going to keep doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over and over again. Seeing Jimmy Lake's question about, are we going to get to this at some point, about why Sean McGrew didn't play? That was one of the things. That I don't think we brought it up on the postgame pod that was a question mark for me because John Donovan had talked during the week about wanting to kind of tighten that running back rotation so that you know the lead backs could get more of a rhythm. I didn't detect a lot of rhythm coming from Richard Newton during that game. I don't know about you. I would have mixed it up. I like Richard Newton, but the reality is you got to change something up. I don't know if I believe. You think that running backs matter more in college than I do? Sean McGrew has more proven success than Richard Newton does previously. I mean, he was probably the team's best running back last season. To not get a carry, right? To not get into not the even game. appear the field, I don't think. How do you do that? How do you do that logically with what was happening on the field? They weren't putting Dylan Morris into good situations. Yes. And that's what a coordinator can do. Certain quarterbacks are more important than the situation. There are not that many of them. I don't even believe that there... I, I'm not sure if I believe that there are any in college football that are more important than the situation, right? We see it consistently. I feel like like Trevor Lawrence was probably more important. Than, no, those guys always end up in good situations. Yes. is part of it. There are players who end up in very good... I, Zach Wilson is one who, like... You know, I don't, I don't, he performed with BYU when I'm not convinced that another quarterback would have. Yes. Right. There, there are, there are a small handful of quarterbacks who are, I mean, Trey Lance is probably another one. Right. But like the, I mean, the level of competition is also probably a factor there as well. But he's being put into a good situation vis a vis somebody else. And I don't think Dylan Morse was. I mean, he was without his top three wide receivers going into the game. He was with an, an ineffective offense. I mean, Jalen Polk went out after one series so in which they scored a touchdown. So, yes. So, he was without his top four wide receivers. He's in an ineffective offense that is completely antiquated, right? It's, it's, it is literally ground warfare, right? Like Civil War style lineup and shoot each other offense that they were doing. I don't know if I would go that far. You wouldn't literally when you don't have motion, when you don't have play action, you are telling the defense what you're doing. 
You're taking away the you any still have, that you have a choice between running and passing. That's <laughs> great. You're minimizing the advantage that you have to the smallest possible amount. And you're saying, we've got a lot of bodies we can, we can lose on this. And those bodies' names are Richard Newton and only Richard Newton. But to not even try something else at running back, right? The problems are just so deep on offense that I cannot imagine that they're going to get better against Michigan or really against anybody else, aside from the weakest of opponents. However, all of this is to say, this is probably a very good defense. They didn't force any turnovers against Montana, but turnovers are random from game to game. I would expect when I approach this Michigan game, I think there will be a bounce back from UW. Do I think they're going to win? We'll discuss that percentage chances of victory. And the answer is obviously no. <laughs> but do I think that they're going? It's not like, okay, they lost to Montana. Michigan is 100% better than Montana. They're going to lose by 50 points. Yeah, you can't use that kind of transitive process. I think this is going to be a close game because of the UW defense. And I think there's going to be more of a bounce back than people are expecting. The one thing I'm really curious about in, curious about in terms of the bounce back is from the special teams. Because the special teams rated almost as poorly in FBI as the offense did. And there wasn't a lot, lot lower to go because the offense was 120. Is John Donovan coaching the special teams also? He is not. 120th out of 127. The special teams were 118th. And you're facing a Michigan team that is sixth in special teams thus far. Now, what part of that was One because game. of a return uh, by senior wide receiver Ronnie Bell, who unfortunately was injured on that punt return and it was a season-ending oh knee injury. So that was a bummer to see. But that's an area that Michigan could definitely exploit is if the Huskies continue to struggle on special teams again and a reason why it might not be a close game. Okay, so tell, tell us about Michigan in general. Just first off, the update on the wide receivers. Jalen Polk, who got the start and left that game out the remainder of the regular season after suffering a chest injury that required emergency surgery. So certainly hope that uh, he gets gets better in a hurry. Uh, Terrell Bynum, Jalen Camillan, and Roma Dunze, who were the expected starters going into the season, are week-to-week, according to Jimmy Lake. So Michigan had sort of the opposite Saturday, where by virtue of blowing out Western Michigan 47-14, to uh, a Western Michigan team that as I was going to look at those offensive rankings from last year, ranked ahead of UW and ahead of nearly all the teams in the Pac-12 last season when they only played against MAC competition. Uh, they, they moved up 15 spots in FPI all the way to 13th with that performance. Uh, they had some room to go because they're coming off a 2-4 and four season, again, in all-conference play. As many losses as in either of the previous two full seasons. Uh, Jim Harbaugh certainly coming into the season under some pressure. Last won a bowl game in 2015 <clears throat> in the Citrus Bowl. And a new starting quarterback for Michigan in Cade McNamara, who came off the bench last season to lead a comeback in their double overtime win versus Rutgers in November and then started the following game against Penn State. Uh, he completed, uh, he had a an 86 QBR against Rutgers and then a 31 QBR against Penn State. So Michigan went back to Joe Milton III, who started the other five games, but then transferred to Tennessee after the season. Uh, McNamara was pretty good on Saturday, uh, went 9 of 11 for 136 yards, although 76 of those came on a long touchdown to Bell before that injury he suffered. So, you know, that's that was the bulk of that production. 
Hassan Haskins started at running back for Michigan, had 13 carries for 70 yards. Blake Corum came off the bench to lead the team with 111 yards on 14 carries and also returned to kickoff 79 yards as part of that, that strong special teams in this game. The defense held... Uh, Western Michigan quarterback Caleb Ellaby, who had been outstanding in 2020 to 191 yards on 20 of 37 passing. Only sack came from senior Aiden Hutchinson, who is number 13 on Mel Kuyper's big board. So good matchup with him and Jackson Kirkland, who is number eight on that same big board. <laughs> and he didn't play on Saturday, right? <laughs> I I didn't see enough great pick plays. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to talk. Uh I mean, this is what you do against a team like Western Michigan if you're Michigan, right? This I mean, is, they, they crushed the line. Like This was expected to be a much closer game. But in general, a situation where you're so much more physically talented, both in size and speed, this is what you do to teams like this. And I think that's what was shocking about the Montana performance yeah. for UW, is you run the ball because you can fucking destroy them with your D1 linemen, Right. Like, yeah, that's how it looks. And you get big plays because your speed that you have at all the skill positions is better than almost anybody else. Right. That's why you get long punt returns. That's why you get 79 yard passes. Right. There's 76 yard touchdown passes and 79 yard kickoff returns. Yes, That's what it looks like when you're a team that is significantly more talented than the other team. It didn't happen for the Huskies on Saturday. We can't exactly pinpoint why necessarily, because even with all of the deficiencies... I mean, you did pinpoint earlier that it was all on the coaching staff. But no, staff. I'm saying, even with it being all on the coaching staff, you talked about this, right? If they actually have the kind of talent that we think UW has... That everybody thought UW had. You could have, you could have me calling plays, right? And they still should be able to crush a team like Montana. I mean, obviously you think that you would do better calling plays than the... Like you, I you wouldn't think, be able what, to what make pers- the plays, but if I could take the plays from Madden <laughs> and then have the players do them, absolutely, yes. <laughs> what, what percentile of offensive coordinator in among the 127 FBS teams do you think you would rank? Again, I can't design the plays myself. <laughs> but you could hire someone to do that. To design plays? Yeah. And then I just, all I'm doing is picking them? Yeah. I like that that's the idea, that that's all an offensive coordinator does. <laughs> Is just call plays. Uh, <laughs> it's the thing we see. I'd be solidly in the middle of the pack. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. In the Pac-12. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, look, two Pac-12 teams lost FCS teams this last weekend. Like, I don't... Or Wade was, did. A Wazoo lost to an FBS team? Yeah, Utah State's in oh, okay, FBS okay. Team. Yeah. Well, congrats. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I said in our group chat that it was a good effort by them, and I was referring to the laterals on the final play. I didn't mean the entire game. <laughs> uh, or, or I just want to make this clear for everybody the famous cousin <laughs> who Katie, might have read the group chat. The famous cousin Katie's husband, Ben, thought that I was referring to the entire game, who went to Wazoo, and did not agree with that assessment that it was a good effort, which, again, I don't think it was necessarily. I don't. I would not consider anything associated with this year's WSU football program d- to have no reflection on the players, but not a good effort. A by lot of COVID tests coming 72 hours out. Is and, a uh, program. Those, those uh, 72 hours before Wazoo plays a home game, there's going to be... I'm, I'm sure they were already required. Uh, chances of victory? Well, I just want to say, I, I my, my hope is, I feel like we see a totally different team. We've been pointing toward this game for a couple of years. I mean, that's the thing that's really depressing <clears> about this. <throat> is like... I'm scheduled to go to 
the big house to watch UW play Michigan. This is to me like the best non-Pac-12 game that UW can play. Like in my head, the Rose Bowl should always be UW and Michigan because it happened to be that in after the 1991 and 1992 seasons. And Michigan has an awesome fight song and cool looking helmets. And so Michigan has like always been kind of my non pack, like my non UW team that and I Charles pull for. Woodson. Yeah. Uh, and Desmond Howard before that, I guess. So the fact that like. The excitement of UW playing Michigan for the first time since, what, 2002? Was that the year that, that they played that in Michigan? The, couldn't get John Anderson on the field? 12, no, it was 12 men oh, on 12 defense men. that oh, cost yeah. them that game. God damn it. Michigan was punting. They had 12 men on the field on the punt, I'm pretty sure. Is that New Heisel? Yes. <sighs> 2002 or 2003. He'd still be, still be the coach oh, now yeah. if that hadn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think, the, I think the other issues are going to catch up to him at some point. But anyways, should be just so much excitement about UW-Michigan. And instead, it's like people are wondering what the buyout is for Jimmy Link's contract. It's a very large amount for the record. Is it? Yes. Pay him. Who cares? It's all fake money. Well, when are they going to, how are they going to pay Hop too? <laughs> how many buyouts do we have to pay at the school? <laughs> They're already paid. Uh, Maybe there's a person above them whose buyout we should pay. Um <laughs> Uh, the line when I see it is Michigan minus six. I say... No, I haven't updated that since okay, that's like Tuesday. I, I don't know that it's changed. I'm just saying I haven't updated it. No, I, th- I think it is not that extreme of a line. It, I think it's about right. I'm going to say that there is a 22% chance of victory <laughs> for Dobbins in this game. Very specific. I was going to say 25%. So I, I think we're in the same ballpark Always here. Always the optimist. <laughs> Usually you're 5% higher on everything. Not when I'm upset. It's kind of weird that... I'm 5% lower. It's kind of weird Michigan isn't ranked at this point, which is making it harder for me to find this line here, which is now Michigan minus 7. Oh, yeah. Losing so. to Montana was worth a solid one point. No, no, no. no. I looked it up after the UW... Montana game. I, I'm sure there wasn't a line previous to that. I feel like there have to be some people, some sharps out there who are looking at this line and are just like, for real? I feel like if they did this before the season, it would have been close to a pickup. Like UW UW's since, going into Michigan? UW was considered the better team. Michigan is still unranked <sighs> after winning a blowout in their season opener. I, it's hard. That's hard for me to chew on. I don't know. Even even before this loss at Montana, I did not feel like Noskis had a good chance of winning this game. Well, you clearly are in a much dire mood about this program than well, the yeah, rest of us. Well, yeah, we have the wrong head coach and offensive yeah. coordinator and quarterback. I don't know. Just determine this based on the game. Losing to was... one of the five worst no, losses of all you, time. I'm saying you felt this way going into the season. I actually did, yes. And then I had proof of concept. I hate it when you get proof of concept. My priors, my priors were confirmed. They were, they were exaggerated, actually. On Saturday. They were exaggerated. Well, I'm hoping some priors are confirmed on Sunday when your Seattle Seahawks open the season against the Indianapolis Colts, a game where they are, they are favored by two and a half points, despite the fact that Indianapolis opened, I think, back in the spring or whenever they first did the lines as two and a half point favorites. Didn't they think that Andrew Luck was coming back? <laughs> oh, <What>? no. <laughs> 
Well, Did the odds makers not know about Carson Wentz? I think one thing they thought is that Carson Wentz might practice at quarterback for the with the Indianapolis Colts offense, which finally happened. There we go. Last Thursday, after uh, he suffered a foot injury and underwent surgery early in training camp, and then just as he was set to return, missed several days of practice last week after going on the COVID-19 list as a close contact. Now, only unvaccinated individuals are generally required to quarantine as close contacts in the NFL. Uh, Center Ryan Kelly and receiver Zach Pascal also went on the COVID-19 list at that time after a staff member tested positive. Uh, guard Quentin Nelson, one of their stars on the offensive line, also among the Colts to miss practice time on the COVID-19 list. Uh, both their head coach Frank Reich and defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, both of whom are by definition fully vaccinated, have tested positive for COVID-19 during training camp. And also... How are they by definition fully vaccinated? Well, all coaches had to be. Oh, That's really? Why the coaches, some of the coaches lost their jobs this season. Oh, okay. Yeah. An NFL-only role, to be clear. Definitely not in the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lane Kiffin, that's fucking leadership. Shouts to Lane Kiffin. I'm about Lane Kiffin. Uh, if tomorrow you were like, you could replace Jimmy Lake for Lane Kiffin, I would just Jesus. sign me up. Wish I could take you back to when Lane Kiffin was on the game day set right after he got fired by USC and tell you that you would once say that. Uh, also, Eric Fisher, who the Colts signed this offseason as a replacement for Anthony Costanzo, their reliable veteran left tackle, retired, uh, was coming back. He was rehabbing an Achilles rupture suffered in the AFC Championship game with the Chiefs, was also set back by a positive COVID-19 <laughs> test in late August, and Frank Reich has ruled him out for this game, leaving German Julian Davenport as the starter at left tackle. So, an eventful training camp. For the Colts, to say the least. And that's before we get to even the matter of Carson Wentz playing football. I, You know, you have Carson Wentz, and you have a weakened offensive line, and you have kind of no receivers out there. And yeah, No, I, I'm not talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, dear. T.Y. Hilton also injured on IR. We'll miss this game. I, I have now finished the uh, All or Nothing season. There was a decent amount about the playoff game. Okay, that's good. Unfortunately, multiple angles of the Jevion Clowney hit on Carson Wentz, the helmet-to-helmet hit that caused the concussion that forced him to lose the, leave the game. Uh, so setting aside the fact that he's barely practiced with the team and is coming off an injury, how effective Carson Wentz will be is an open question because he finished last season 28th among qualifying quarterbacks in QBR after ranking 11th in 2019, losing his starting job to Jalen Hurts at the end of that last season in Philadelphia. Uh, Phil Rivers was lower than I expected in QBR. You asked me to look this up. He was 19th, but his 55 QBR was 13 points better than Wentz's last season. And also, Phil Rivers was on the precipice of retirement. That is correct. Like, I don't... But, I, but like, I, the Colts offense was was not bad last year. I think they were 10th in DVOA last season. Still had a pretty good season, yeah. all things considered. Uh you know, I, I don't know exactly. Well, I guess we do know exactly what happened to Carson Wentz. He was seriously injured early on in his career, you know? And I, he's never really bounced back from that. No, I, I read the Football Outsiders Almanac chapter on the Colts to prepare for this podcast. And one of the things they pointed out is that that season where he was in MVP contention before the ACL tear, it was really unsustainable third down and red zone performance that was driving a lot of us that success for him. Interesting. So they saw that Carson Wentz got injured and they went back and said, not only did he get injured, he wasn't actually that good to begin with. 
Thank you, Football Outsiders. <laughs> but clearly Wentz was a lot better in 2019 without those receivers yes. than he was and with a banged-up offensive line than he was last season. I mean, I think last season there was a legit argument that he was the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. Certainly of guys that started as many games as he did. Yeah. And when he was benched, it was three to four weeks too late. I mean, we have a lot of history with Carson Wentz because the Seahawks just happened to have played the Eagles a lot he has in played, Philadelphia. He has played the Seahawks the most of any, tied for the most of any non-division opponent. And has he ever beaten the Seahawks? He has never beaten the Seahawks. Not even counting that playoff game that he got knocked out of with the concussion was 0-4. The Eagles were 0-4 in games when started against the Seahawks. And he's only averaged better than six yards per attempt in one of those four games when he threw for 348 yards on 45 attempts in a 24-10 loss in Seattle in 2017. I remember that game. A very strange line. Overall, 61 against the Seahawks, 61% completion percentage, 5.8 yards per attempt, six interceptions in four games. It's the lowest QB rating, which is what they have on Pro Football Reference, uh, versus any team he's played more than twice. Pretty incredible. Yeah. That for some reason, I mean, we, we have so much history of quarterbacks, even backups for Carson Wentz. Yes, coming in. Josh McCown gave it a good effort. <laughs> and he was he was like devastated in the behind-the-scenes footage on that. Uh, that all or nothing season. Like, he had an exciting play at the end of the game. He gave up his body. Had to be consoled by Brandon Graham post-game. So. Oh, look, no, Josh McCown did nothing wrong. I agree. But Carson Wentz is somebody who you go into the season, you can see that he's on a different team. Look, it's not the Eagles anymore, but Carson Wentz had some success, a lot of success with the Eagles. And it's hard to approach him as a quarterback that the Seahawks are going to be scared of because we just have not seen it yet. You know, you talk about through those games and you have to look at this Colts team and it's a change of scenery, but it's not like he was playing with a bad offensive staff beforehand. The difference to me between Doug Peterson and Frank Reich is not necessarily that great. Now the greatest heights the Eagles hit offensively were with Reich as offensive coordinator under Peterson before he took this Colts job. Even still though, I don't. You know, it's a relatively similar scheme. Yes. And it's... Also, the intel out of Philadelphia. I mean, it's tough to tell how much of this is spin after the fact. But, like, pretty negative about Carson Wentz after he got traded. Yes. It's... We have to kind of approach this game going into it. It's week one. It's a change of scenery, but it's still Carson Wentz. He is who he is. And the Colts offense, with the kind of lack of talent around him... I don't think you can necessarily say that it's going to look any different than it did in Philadelphia. I mean, they do have some talented skill position players. Hilton was their most valuable receiver with 138 DR last season, according to Football Outsiders metrics. With him on IR, more opportunities for youngsters, Zach Pascoe and Michael Pittman Jr., uh, who had a below average DVOA as a rookie. Uh, Naheem Hines, their third down back, actually led the team in receiving DR with an outstanding DVOA and 73 targets last season. Uh, as their starting running back, Jonathan Taylor was solidly above average. As I mentioned, that left tackle position, the big question mark on the offensive line, uh, which is generally solid, but you know probably about average, I think, before Fisher comes back. They were seventh in defensive DVOA last year, despite limited edge pass rushing. Danico Autry and Justin Houston combined for 15 and a half sacks, but probably outperformed, which you'd expect based on their 39 hurries combined. 
The Colts drafted edge rushers back-to-back in this year's first two rounds to replace them. Quiddy Pay out of Michigan and Dio Odeyangbo out of Vanderbilt. Uh, Odengbo is out for the first half of the season due to an Achilles rupture, leaving 2018 second-rounder Taekwon Lewis as the starter opposite Pay for Week 1. Do get strong interior pressure from former 49er DeForest Buckner, who had a team-high 9.5 sacks last season. Uh, linebacker Darius Leonard, an All-Pro twice in his three seasons, and the secondary led by longtime Vikings cornerback Xavier Rhodes, who had a solid first season in Indianapolis. Target opponents, this is mentioned in the Football Outsiders Almanac, opponents really targeted the other side of the field across from Rhodes because there was such a difference between those two cornerbacks. Interesting. Uh, so it's week one. It is. And... I think what we're going to learn from this game is going to be more about the Seahawks than anything else, uh, which is they have an opportunity against a team that they should be able to run whatever they'd like to run against this defense. There's nobody, I mean, DeForest Buckner aside, there's nobody, there's no Aaron Donald type player that they have to. I don't know that I would say <clears throat> that they should be able to run whatever they want to run. They can run the plays. I'm not saying they'll be successful doing it necessarily, but the offense that they're going to run in this game should look like the, I see. The we're we're going to get a first look at this because we didn't, obviously, in the preseason with none of the starters. And, and there's nobody like, again, there are not that many Aaron Donalds in the league. Yeah, there's but, only one Aaron Donald. But there's nobody who is so disruptive on this defensive line that it would force them to completely alter their game plan because of them. Or on this defense in general, right? Like, this is going to look like what the Seahawks offense presumably wants to look like going into this game. It's I, I think it is... All things considered, one of the best possible landings that they could have. Uh, and starting with a game like this, they have to travel to Indianapolis, I understand that. But they're playing a quarterback that they're very familiar with. A Colts team that they don't play that often. Uh, By definition, unless you play them in the Super Bowl, you play... Well, that, that will change, I guess, now when you do play an additional AFC team. But historically, it's been once every four years. But th- that they haven't seen that much. So if you're going to play an AFC team, you would like it to be a scenario where they have a recent NFC convert quarterback... Uh, and a quarterback who you're pretty familiar with. You know, the scheme might be slightly different, but given how much time Carson Wentz spent, can't be that different. Uh, But I really look at what we're going to be watching on Saturday, or on Sunday, is what does the Seahawks offense look like? How is it different? How explosive is it? You know, is there going to be anything in that intermediate range? Is D. Eskridge going to be incorporated in the offense? Are they going to be running play action and going deep still? You know, how much are they going to run versus pass? I think those are the things that we're really going to be paying a lot of attention to. I feel pretty good about this game in general. And I think most importantly, just excited to see this Seahawks offense that we've been waiting for for so long play, right? We talked in the preview with Ben about how everybody's talked about Shane Waldron, right? It has been the Shane Waldron offseason for the Seahawks once the Russ trade stuff simmered down, right? Like... Once it happened, it kind of all it all came toward Waldron, and everything was coming up Waldron. How are they going to run the ball? We know that they're going to run the ball. Obviously, this isn't going to be like uh, a seventy-five twenty-five passing offense. We we understand that it's still going to be Pete Carroll, but are the is it going to look a little bit more like how the 49ers use Raheem Mostert? How the Rams were able to use players like Todd Gurley or turn C.J. Anderson into a superstar running back? Is that going to be Chris Carson all of a sudden? Is he going to have those opportunities? And if that's the case, I think that we know that Chris Carson can really make the most of them. But 
side to side. How much are they going to use the field? How much are they going to use motion? That's what I think we really need to be paying attention to and what we will be paying attention to the most on Sunday. And then beyond that, the the rest of it, we've seen this defense against Carson Wentz. There's going to be some pressure. There's going to be some mistakes. Uh, I think that this is not going to necessarily be the test for those cornerbacks that we might see down the road. Uh, you know, this is not Ryan Tannehill and Julio Jones and AJ Brown, right? This is Carson Wentz and two wide receivers who are super young and had below average DVOA last season. Zach Pascal did have above average DVOA. It was just Pittman Jr. that was below average. Like, put some respect on Zach. Okay, Pascal, fine. What I'm it, saying. Oh, but it, but he's also Zach Pascal. He's also practiced with Carson Wentz like four times ever, I think. But you can recognize the difference between Zach Pascal and Michael Pittman and Julio Jones and AJ Brown. I can. It's right. not the other te- only other team on their schedule. But I'm just saying, I think that's when we're really going to see the pressure on the Seahawks secondary sure. that we're nervous about. I'm not sure if Carson Wentz is the guy. The last time the Seahawks played the Colts was 2017 at Lumen Field. Uh, Jacoby Brissett started at quarterback for the Colts. The There were six touchdowns scored by the Seahawks. They were scored by, in order, Justin Coleman, uh, Russell Wilson run, J.D. McKissick. I, the J.D. McKissick run. Luke Wilson. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, I skipped Bobby Wagner, Luke Wilson, and J.D. McKissick again. Yeah, he had that big run to seal the game. It was a Sunday night football, which they thought was going to be Luck versus Wilson. It was not. That was the year he retired. In preseason, no, it wasn't. Yeah, no, it was. Oh, was he? That was the year he was injured. You're yeah, right. he was Never not mind. retired in preseason that year. All right, fair. You're going way back. Is it actually a horrible night? Um, <laughs> <laughs> other stuff happened that night that was very bad, but we can reminisce about that later. Uh, but for the Seahawks, it was a comfortable victory. We hung out with Ben Baldwin pregame. We did. Uh, and. As we hopefully will be doing next weekend. And you might be doing this weekend. Potentially so, yes. In Indianapolis, Indiana. Tell us. First, chances of victory. Second, what are we going to be eating in Chicago, Illinois, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Indianapolis, Indiana? I don't really have a lot of big eating plans for this trip. I don't know. The The one place I wanted to try to go was the place I had a reservation at All-Star 2020, and then my flight got delayed, and I missed it and had to hear from everyone else who went what was how, that? how great it was. Uh, it's a place called Galit that is Middle, a Middle Eastern restaurant. Uh, uh, there's two different restaurant. Chicago deep dish places, you know? <laughs> Those are the only two options? There's three, at least, aren't there? Well, Lumaladis. Right? Pequods. And Pequods. Yeah. Are, are we going to one of those? Uh... I think there's a good chance at some point. I don't have a scheduled. What day do you fly in? Tomorrow. <laughs> Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. And then you're leaving for Ann Arbor on Saturday or on Friday? On Saturday. So you've got a full day of eating. We're going to the Cubs game on Friday. Oh, my God. Fucker. It's quite a weekend. I actually, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, I would... Ra- I. I would rather go to a Cubs game than travel to Ann Arbor. The um, only the only place that I might try to eat in Ann Arbor is there's a contestant on uh, season six of Top Chef that I recently rewatched nice. who has a place in Ann Arbor, so I may try to hit that. Wow, up. they wouldn't let him into Detroit. Her. Well, oh wow! 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 Well, uh, I believe she also has some locations of that in Detroit, but it, it opened, it started in Ann Arbor, as I understand it, from the podcast that I, that I listened to about it in 2020. Okay. Pack your knives. Lou Malnati's. 
I can't. Re- you know what I need to figure out is which one of them I had last time. Oh, you had one last time. I did. Well, two times ago actually. When I, I went in May 2019, so I had one of them, but I don't remember which off the top of my head. God, I want to go to Chicago. Uh, okay. And then Indianapolis. I don't know. Like, there's only gonna be one meal there because we're gonna be there just for the. I've heard Seahawks that they're good steakhouses, right? Isn't that kind of the Elmo's? The, yeah, that's yeah. The, the thing. The only time I went to Indianapolis, I had given up meat for Lent. So I was like really missed up red meat. I'd given up red meat. So I really and missed out the on the best food they have. That is. Yeah. And I, I went hungry the entire time. The other food they have is Carson Wentz for the Seahawks defense oh. to feast on what? on Sunday. Percentage chances of victory for the Seahawks week one of this elongated 2021 NFL season. So I am a little worried that I think we're getting like too excited about this game as Seahawks fans. <laughs> I mean, just all the news from Colts training camp has been so relentlessly negative. <laughs> like, one after another, the injuries. I mean, there was a point where we thought that Quentin Nelson and Wentz might not be back for this game at all, which could have meant Jacob Eason starting at quarterback. Would rather see it. Uh, he and he and Sam Ellinger, rookie Sam Ellinger, played quarterback in the in training camp, but Ellinger is now on IR with a knee sprain. So if, if something happens with Carson Wentz, it's it's Jacob Eason time. Uh, uh, anyways, I'm so I'm a little nervous about that. I'm very nervous about the combination of that and the potential of me being at this game. So those two in concert, but still, I would have to say like sixty percent chances of victory. I think it's more like 70 percent. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a sixty eight percent chance of victory. I just I'm not nervous about this game at all. That's exactly what makes me nervous about it. I but. I guess I was going to say last year, week one was at Atlanta, right? I had a high degree of concern going into that game because it's the Falcons you never know. 10 a.m. start. But also, you're thinking to yourself, it's the Falcons. Like, this is this is a, a post-Shanahan Falcons team. I would be curious to go back and listen to what were chances of victory were for that one. I think, if I remember correctly, we cautioned the game, right? Because it was the Falcons. Yeah. You feel good, but you caution it because it's the Falcons. This is the weird stuff is happening against the Colts. Russell Wilson, I don't believe, has won in Indianapolis before. I mean, he's only played there one time. And that was like his rookie season, right? No, it was 2013. It was the year they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. That was their first loss. They had come from behind in Houston the week before and then lost in Indy. It was a weird game. There was like a defensive touchdown or something in there. I don't know. It was very Seahawks. But I remember it came down to like a last second play. Maybe the Seahawks had the ball and couldn't score. They, they, that seems right. I don't know if it was necessarily the last second or just a final drive. Uh, the final of that one was 34-28 Colts. A Vinatieri field goal with 49 with 155 left produced the final margin. Seahawks did not score in the fourth quarter. So I get it. They're going to Indianapolis. It's not a place they feel comfortable playing in a dome. It's a little strange, but it still went. Russell Wilson was intercepted, and that effectively ended the game. They were able to kneel it out after that. And it's just it's hard to be scared of Carson Wentz in this game. I don't believe in change of scenery for Carson Wentz. I think at this point, Wentz is who he is, and I would be surprised if he made it through the season as the starting quarterback of the Colts. They've got some interesting incentives because the the first round pick that they sent Philadelphia is contingent on his percentage of snaps played. So 
if things are iffy, there's a lot of reason for the Colts to pull the plug on Carson Wentz at some point around like week 12 or so. Most importantly, NFL is back. And we get to do this every week now for the next 18 weeks. Uh, except for the bye week. Except for the bye week. But but an- another week, and we'll be doing this a little bit longer. Uh, the pain will continue into January of paying attention <laughs> to the Seahawks. But, I mean, I guess the fact that the end of the season is pushed back means there's a little less chance of them ruining New Year's. Yeah. But... It's there's nothing more fun than an NFL season, and you know things kicking off tonight as you're listening to this, the Buccaneers and the Cowboys, like it's just the the whole thing, every part about it, how teams start, how teams finish, how things progress, breakout players, like this is, it's, it's extraordinarily fun to pay attention to fantasy football, like that's the reality of it, and the Seahawks how, how the season progresses playing a game like this against Indianapolis by the time we get to November and December, who knows how much it'll matter. Right. But I think in this moment with them having the entire off season with Shane Waldron, having the entire off season, Russell Wilson playing in a dome, no rain, no weather, nothing at all. Like this offense is going to be humming. It's going to be pretty great weather in the Midwest, unless it's changed since I last looked. There's probably hurricanes. Assume that dome will be open. (laughs) Uh, this offense is going to be humming in this game, though. They're going to score 35-plus points here. Like, they're going to have it rolling. And I can't wait to watch it. Me neither. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. It was it was kind of the opposite of the draft last week. It felt like there was no chatter whatsoever in, in your draft on Wednesday that I wasn't actually in. When I showed up, I brought I brought the conversation. You did. You started asking people about beer, and that's how that that today's draft started with asking what everyone was drinking. I mean, maybe it's different because you didn't show up like an hour and a half into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's true. But I showed up like right at the start of the draft at six. And there was already a robust conversation going. Really? Yeah. God. We had uh, we had tales. Fucking Champions League. We had tales of people. Yeah. Uh, first off, a lot of people talked shit about you not being there. Wow. A lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> but second off, Mrs. Fantasy Genius was not one of those people, right? No. No, I did not get up in the chat. I was just trying to <laughs> There were a lot of people. I would have been working during the draft anyway. Maybe try scheduling these drafts for like 10 o'clock p.m. Pacific. Again, maybe someone should send out an email asking what time it people are matter. available. I That seems like it would be convenient. You appreciated the survey? It's horseshit. So I, I just, I filled it out when I hypothetically could be available, but <laughs> stuff comes up in life. You know what I mean? I mean, last Wednesday was understandable. That was, that was a bit <sighs> out of the realm of the ordinary. But uh, we talked about the listener moving back to the Pacific Northwest Hello. because Chris Wheeler is in that league. There we go. And also Mike Jeremiah, who recent, more recently moved back. Everybody's coming back. Yeah, and apparently the Chris Wheeler's letter about it was, was shared by Mike as he was trying to convince his wife to move to Seattle. So Shared by Mike Jeremiah? Yeah. Wow. So the, the listener, working for the listener. Wow, full page ad. <laughs> yeah. From the Pelton cast. Who did you draft? What pick did you have? I had the 10th pick. Ooh. I drafted Jonathan Taylor, who apparently I have in two leagues. Wow, you're going to have fun this weekend. That. 
But I also have drafted the Seahawks defense under the logic that they're, they've got a favorable matchup this weekend. Uh, I And then with my second pick, I took Stefan Diggs. I asked Mrs. Fantasy Genius who she took first. This is <clears throat> person who's in the Champions League and not me. And she said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have deduced that it was Dalvin Cook. She said she had the that second is, overall That is pick. correct. It was Dalvin Cook. <laughs> God damn it. I was wondering if I needed to get in the chat and make sure that Mrs. Fantasy Genius was there. But then by the time I was going to do it, she had picked Dalvin Cook. So, the, there you go. I mean... I I wouldn't have shown up anyway, so well, I would have been on another fucking Zoom call for the rest of my life. 